A worldview is one's lens through which one interprets everything in life and in the universe. That's the first blank on the notes that you have there. A worldview is one's lens through which one interprets everything in life and in the universe. And we've talked about this. How most people, it's like if you're trying to watch a 3D movie without 3D glasses. That's how most people live their life. They're going through life, and if you've ever done that, if you've ever gone to the wrong theater, and, and, or maybe you didn't grab your glasses, and you're trying to make sense of what's happening in the movie, first of all, you're probably going to feel nauseous, but you're going to be very distracted. It's going to really be hard to figure out what the movie is actually about. But then suddenly, when you wear the right lens, suddenly it all makes sense. Suddenly you understand what's going on. You're no longer distracted, but you're engaged. This dinosaur is like floating out here now because I have the right lens to see it. Now, the problem is that most people, as they're looking through life, they kind of have an idea of what life is about, but they're, they're, they're looking and they don't quite understand it. And it doesn't make sense. Why do you think everybody's so depressed, anxious? because they don't have the right lens. Our society is lost because they embrace the lies, philosophies, and solutions the world advocates, which explains why most people are suffering through anxiety, anger, addictions. Why do you think people escape? Because if you're in a movie theater with the wrong lens, you're escaping to a different theater. Addictions, depressions, and hope, depression and hopelessness. What we've learned in Acts is that the Lord offers the correct lens. He's the one who created it all. And so we're going to finish up today Paul's time of incarceration at Caesarea. And it's going to be another kangaroo court, another unjust hearing. But what we're going to learn today is a very simple truth that has to do with worldview. On whether you're going to understand what's going on or whether you're going to be depressed, anxious, and nauseous. It's this. Is a choice. You can choose to put on the correct lens, or you can stubbornly sit there in the theater and be lost. Blindness. What the good news or the bad news? What do you say, Scott? Good news or bad news? Bad news. We're covering a long passage. There's no easy way to do this. This is Paul's longest speech in the book of Acts, and there's no way to cut it up. So we're going to be covering actually more than one chapter today. <gasps> okay. Okay. Good news now, Scott. The good news is, this is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. This is just, this is a phenomenal chapter. It's entertaining, and it's funny. It's a great chapter. So let's dig in. God, as we come to your word, um, Lord, we just pray, pray to baptize me, power of the Holy Lord, just with gifts. Of, Lord, I don't want to get in the way of you, what you hear. I pray, speak to every heart, and then regardless, they walk in here never coming to church before if they've come here doesn't you care so deep and that doesn't happen through an eloquence of your power so that our faith instead upon god's power all right verse 23 so the next day when agrippa and bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at festus's command paul was brought in Okay, that's enough of that. Just the contrast here, and, and, and we know, you know, uh, Pastor John, he's out of town this weekend, but he showed us this picture a few weeks ago, and, and this is the amphitheater at Caesarea. He's been there. He stood there where the Bema seat is. See the circle there? 
So it's really helpful. And this whole chapter either happened here or in the Hippodrome right next to it. It's one of those two places. So they're quite confident it's one of those two. It's likely this or that. But the Bema seat right there, that's where uh, the, the king, King Agrippa and Bernice and, and then Festus, the Roman commander, they'd be sitting there and you can imagine the, the Roman legions standing there at attention and all the pomp and circumstance. Bring out the, the prisoner. Again, this is not mythology. This is history, verified history. This happened. It happened here. So they come out there. And, and so Festus, now Festus, he's the governor, just like Pontius Pilate was the governor when he was alive. Well, this is Festus. He inherited Paul from Felix, not the cat, the governor. But Felix was corrupt, and so he's inherited Paul here, and he doesn't know what to do with them because Paul, there's no crime that he committed. But because he wants to do a favor to the Jews, he doesn't immediately release Paul. He's trying to figure out some charges to charge him with. And the problem for him is, is that every Roman citizen had the right to appeal to Caesar, just like we can appeal to a higher court. Paul's a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. So now he has to send Paul to Caesar, and he doesn't have any real charges to charge him with. So in his first cut, this is just his first two weeks on the job for Festus, taken over from Felix, who, by the way, Felix was charged with corruption. He was uh, banished from the Roman Empire for it. But in his first couple weeks on the job, Festus has already fumbled the ball with an embarrassing leadership mistake. When he tried to do the Jews a favor, that was a mistake. He should have let Paul go immediately. Regrettably, his blunder will be exposed before Caesar, and he is now forced to send an innocent man to be tried before Emperor Nero with no actual criminal charges. That's a good way to lose your head as a governor. It's a good way to lose your job. And But there's a lifeline that's been thrown here, and we talked about this. This is the first couple weeks on the job. Yeah, Festus and and. And King Agrippa, now, now the Roman Empire is known to allow regional kings to have authority under the authority of the Roman Empire. And so the local king over Judea, he comes, and it's, it's Agrippa, King Agrippa II, and he's there with Bernice, his girlfriend, who is also his sister. Ugh, all right? The, the records show that they're from Kentucky, but... Um, <laughs> Now, now, just, just, and I showed you this, the, the Herod, the Herodian dynasty is very important in the New Testament because they were the royal authority in this area, just to make sure you know where they are. You have Agrippa and Bernice and, uh, and they're down here. And then you have Agrippa the first. He's the guy who imprisoned Peter. He's the guy who executed the, the apostle James, the first apostle to die. Herod Antipas, he was the, he was the, the ruler when Jesus was killed. Uh, and then you have Herod the Great. He was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. He killed all the babies with him. And, and also you have Felix is part of this family. He's the guy who was banished for corruption. Uh, because he was married to Agrippa and Bernice's other sister, Drusilla. Okay? Drusilla. Okay? Cruella Drusilla. Okay? Um, so that's them. But what we have to understand is here they are. They're in this pomp. You know, that... Like, you know, this big show trial. You know, it's their excuse to dress up in their best outfits. And they come out there and, Welcome, King Agrippa! You know, showing off. Big pomp. Pompous. That's where we... Pompous. Well, they don't see what's really going on. 
They, they don't understand what's going on. They, they have no clue. They are completely blind to the reality of the situation with the Apostle Paul. They don't understand that something much bigger is going on here. And all three of these rulers, and, and by the way, all the elite of the, of the town are there watching. And they all think, this is entertainment. I mean, this is before... T- and they're just like, oh, look at the magic. Look at this prisoner, Paul. <laughs> here, Festus, you know, Festus dies. You know that? You take, take Bernice, you know, we're making fun. She's been married twice already. Now she's in an incestuous relationship with her brother. She's going to have to flee to Rome. And when she's in Rome, she has multiple affairs and two emperors. This is a lost woman who's identifying herself in, in whatever man has. You know, then, then you have Agrippa. Agrippa's going to have to, he's a king right now. You know, bottom of my... <laughs> Just back up smart. So Agrippa's going to have to leave. He's going to have to flee because he oversees what happens when Jerusalem falls. And he's, he's loyal to Caesar and betrays the Judea. And he has to flee and he lives out his days. They don't even know what's happening here. Is This is their chance. They think this is a trial. They don't know what's going on. If they took the right lens here, they would understand them and give them the right. The problem is blindness is a choice. Verse 24 Chapter 25, uh, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about who the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live anymore. Paul should die. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, again, he appealed to Caesar. Augustus, this isn't referring to Caesar Augustus. This was a royal t- 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 tri- uh, royal title. It'd be like saying, "His Majesty." And I decided to send him. <laughs> well, you didn't decide. That was the Roman law. <laughs> I have nothing. I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and to not specify the charges against him. Duh! <laughs> this reminds me of, of like Stalin, Lenin, and Soviet Union. You show me the man, I'll show you the charge. You know, let's let's bring him out, and I'll tell you what he's guilty of, and, and because I want. They're just making this up here, blind it's a choice. But he's stuck. He's trying to find these charges to send Rome with. He's not embarrassed before. Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So, so Paul stretched out his hand. That's a little detail that I love these little details in scripture. We know that Luke's traveling with Paul here. We know that Luke likely wrote the book of Luke during these been and he's going to Jerusalem and back. Well, there's a little detail that looks like, yeah, I stretched out his I love that. Luke's watching this. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered, I think myself happy. Happy? Happy? He's been in chains for two years and has done nothing wrong. He literally has committed no crime, but he's sitting incarcerated in chains for two years. And here's another unfair trial. The last governor kept bringing him before him for hearings because he was hoping Paul would offer him a bribe. This is unjust. This is wrong. According to law, now Paul, as a Roman citizen, he's already appealed to Caesar. The, by law, this trial has no authority at that point. It's meaningless. It's just 
Because once a Roman citizen appealed to Caesar, that was the next legal hearing that should happen. Hasn't happened. This is unjust, but he's happy. Paul is happy? Well, to Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, and the elite audience listening in, Paul was a blind fool. In their eyes, he was ill-fated to be standing at their mercy and facing the death penalty. He had nothing to be happy about. However, Paul chose the right lens. See, this was a God-ordained opportunity to share Jesus with blind and lost souls. Why did Paul have this sight? Because Jesus said this would happen. Remember, we read this a couple weeks ago. Back in chapter 9, this Jesus met Paul on the road. And he went to Ananias. And Ananias is like, wow, that Christian hunter's coming here? The guy who kills Christians? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to gent- the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Listen, blindness is a choice. The opposite is true. Sight is a choice. And at this point, Paul's been imprisoned. This is rotten. This is unjust. But he's chosen to have the right lens saying, hey, you know what? I get to tell a king about Jesus. I get to tell a Roman governor. I get to stand on the stage. We saw where this happened, likely. I get to stand there in front of a crowd of the most influential people in the region and tell them all about Jesus. Suddenly, it's all clear. Verse 2 again. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert. In all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to be patiently. Listen, Agrippa was both an expert in Judaism and Roman bureaucracy. Thus, he took great interest in upholding customs while brokering peace between Rome and Jerusalem. He's known for this. Josephus writes all about this. The the Jewish historian, non-Christian, writes all about this. Josephus writes so much. That just goes parallel with what... And, and, and Agrippa, who this is, he was known that, that he... Now, now, listen, ethnically, he's Idumean, not Jewish. But he's, he's really become a student of Judaism. And actually, there's signs he embraced it. He embraced it. So Paul's like, hey, Agrippa, you're the guy who will understand everything. When he says everything, he's talking about... You'll understand not merely about his Agrippa and how the Old Testament... My manner... Of life from my youth, which was spent from beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know, they all know that I am a Jew of Jews. They knew me from the first. If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. This meant nothing to Festus. Remember, he's two weeks on the job. He doesn't know what a Pharisee is. He doesn't know. But Agrippa and Bernice, they know what a Pharisee is. They know all about it. In fact, do you remember two weeks ago when we were in, in chapter beginning of chapter 25? When, when we were there, you know, Festus, uh, excuse me, let me just say it this way. Festus and Bernice understood that as a Pharisee, Paul had been an orthodox conservative of Judaism. The implication being that his entire life was consumed 
with legalistic living out through religious customs, upholding the law and maintaining absolute purity from any stain from the world or false religion. They know exactly what it means. This guy was serious about. And now I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. All those promises that talked about a savior starting in Genesis that predicted the Savior, that predicted the Messiah is the word that Daniel used, pointing towards the Messiah as Savior. This promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. It's not just me who looked forward to this Messiah. It was all that we've all been looking forward to the Messiah coming. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, uh, for, this, uh, for this hope's sake, King Agrippa, for that hope, that I believe the Messiah has come. That's why I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Make no mistake, Agrippa and Bernice both know this. This is the most significant event to not only happen in their lifetime, we know now in the most significant event in the history of the world. (laughs) And last week, or two weeks ago, we were in chapter 25. Remember, when, 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 uh, Agrippa and Bernice first arrive. Festus goes, hey, Agrippa, come here. I have a problem. Come here. And so Agrippa says, tell me, tell me, tell me what your problem is. In this private, you know, private discussion, remember this. When his accused, this is, this is Festus talking to Agrippa privately. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named who Paul claimed was alive. Now, as soon as he said that, Agrippa's like, oh, I got it. <laughs> I know what this is. Immediately, he knew this was about Jesus. Festus was new to town. He'd never heard of Jesus before. But in that private meeting, as soon as Festus shared with Agrippa the name Jesus, Agrippa understood what this was all about. So with that context, here we're back to this trial, this kangaroo court. And Paul's basically looking at Agrippa going, Jesus, you know he was crucified on a Roman cross. You also know that people have claimed to see him after he died, that he rose from the dead. You know this. Now listen, this is what this is about. I believe he was the Messiah. That's what this is all about. Do you really consider it impossible that the creator God could raise someone from the dead? That's what he's asking him. Agrippa knew about Jesus. This is a mere 20 years after the cross. Those events had shaken their society and was transforming lives like wildfire all around them. With Paul's words, it became shockingly clear. Paul's priority wasn't defending himself against charges. Instead, Paul's goal was proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, having raised from the dead. And Paul had the lens to see it. And he's about to offer the blindness as a choice. So is verse 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is back when he was a Pharisee. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison. I put those Christians in prison. Having received authority from the chief priests, these same people who are here trying to charge me, they're the ones who gave me the authority to go lock up Christians. And when they were put to death, when those Christians were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You know, it's uh, 
Um, this past year, I don't know if you pay attention to archaeology, but I do. They actually found an image. You guys, have you seen? Here it is. He was a, you know, dog the bounty hunter. I don't even know. He's, yeah, he's a tough dude. So that's who Paul was. He was a Christian hunter. So he'd go out, throw them in prison. When they were being put to death, stoned to death, Paul's like, yep, kill him. Paul was at that. He didn't understand what was a choice. Verse 12, while thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus. So he's on the road to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, these same guys who were charging me today. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, remember Paul goes by the name Paul in Greek, Saul in Aramaic, the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now a goad, we read this like, what, what, what's a goad? Well, a goad is a training tool that they used with ox, with oxen. And that it was like a, it's like a spear. It was a stick with a spear on the end of it. It was training them to not kick. So when you first put the yoke on the ox, every kick you, you kind of point at them. And, you know, knock them. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't pierce the skin, but it just kind of when they kick against the goad, it teaches them not to kick. And after a while, they stop kicking, and then you just don't have to come the goad. So basically, Jesus is saying, "Hey, Paul, you know, hey, why are you why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goad?" It's, it's pointless. It's, 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 there's no point to it. You're going to have to pull the plow. So it's pointless for you to do this. It's futile to fight against what I'm doing. You're fighting against the church. When Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, he was saying, Paul, blindness is a choice, and you're blindly fighting against me like an ox pointlessly kicking the goad. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Their eyes. There's Jesus' purpose for Paul's life. To open the eyes of those who are blind to the truth. Jesus is saying, hey, Paul, here's a new lens. Now you see what's really happening. He's like, oh, I get it. Oh, and Paul, this isn't the only pair. You've got other pairs here. I'm sending you first to the Jews so you can give them a lens. Blindness is a choice. Paul shares with them the gospel, the same story. They say, nope, and they arrest him. But then to the Gentiles, and he's giving out these lenses saying, here, this is what's really going on. This is what life is about. It's all about Jesus. And some people, they accepted those, and suddenly like, whoa, I get it. Even if life is hard, even if circumstances are hard, I understand what's going on, and I understand I'm not alone in this. But my Creator God is with me. I understand. Now I'm here in front of you, Augustus and Festus. You guys, but blindness is a choice. Sight is a choice as well. To whom I, I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. Satan, it, it just means adversary. Satan is, is not a devil-horned little creature in pajamas. Satan was an angel named who, who led a rebellion against God in heaven. So to deliver you from the power of the adversary to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient in the he heavenly vision. It's like, hey, all I'm doing, the reason I'm locked up is I was just obeying 
the Messiah, the King. But declared first to those in Damascus. So I, I kept going after Jesus changed me. And I went and told them about Jesus in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea. And then to the Gentiles under that, that in your book, Bible. Underline it because that's what this is really about here. We'll talk about that in a second. And then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works benefiting repentance. A befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Why did they arrest Paul? Did you notice this back here when, when Pastor John was teaching? If you remember, the, 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 there was a riot happening. The Roman soldiers came in and grabbed Paul, took him up, dressed the entire temple full of Jews, and they all listened. They got quiet. The riot stopped. And they started listening to Paul. Paul told the basically the same story. They listened to the entire thing until Paul said this. Look at this. Remember this? Chapter 25. Oh, sorry. Chapter 25. This is when they stopped being quiet and demanded he be arrested and die. Then the Lord, this is all the way back. During that riot, everybody's listening quietly. And Paul speaks. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then, until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Why did the Jew, the Jewish leaders try to kill Paul in the temple? Why were they outraged? Why was he arrested? Why was he unjustly in chains for two years under Felix? Why was he on trial today? Because he had the audacity to infer that God loved Gentiles. That's why. Now remember who Paul's talking to. Gentiles. Mystic City. The elites, they're Gentiles. They're non-Jews. King Agrippa, Bernice, they were Idumean. Now they had, had adopted Judaism. But by birth, they're Gentiles. Festus, he's a Roman governor. Gentile. Paul's defense is this. Your majesty, here is what happened. Jesus Christ appeared to me on the road to Damascus and told me that God loves Gentiles and that you guys, you Gentiles, can actually be saved. Then when I told the Jews that you guys could be saved, they wanted to kill me. Mike, drop. Okay? Case over. Blindness is a choice, and those Jewish were blind. Sight is a choice too. Paul is saying, hey, you want the sight to see what's going on here? Jesus, Messiah, take this, you'll understand. Therefore, having obtained help from God, at this point, I'll bet you the entire audience started chuckling, laughing. You're being helped by your God? Paul, you're in chains. You're about to be sent to Caesar on trial where you're facing the death penalty and your God is helping you? You're not even free, dude. God has helped you? Well, depends on what lens you're looking at. Listen, the circumstances you're facing right now, now God works in the midst of circumstance, but God doesn't always make circumstances go smoothly because smoothly is not his priority. Godliness is, and how does God sanctify us, make us godly? By having us face hard times. And if you have the right lens, all of a sudden it makes, you're able to see. It's according to circumstances. But God's priority isn't fairness, happiness, nor safety. Our God is not safe. We make him safe. 
He's not safe. God's promise is not to remove dire circumstances, but, but to be present with us in the midst of those circumstances and to transform dark situations into opportunity by Him. The last six months have been the hardest of my life. The last year and a half has been the hardest, starting with little sister and my best friend. I've never been alone. Never. Not once. God has been present entire now, if I look at the world's lens of what's happening, I'm confused, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I don't know what's going on. It doesn't mean that I don't struggle, but every time I start to struggle, like last night, you know, I was kind of having a pity party, I went and picked blackberry bushes, or blackberries first, because my hope was that Becca would make a pie. <laughs> but, yeah, I see what, that was a joke at my wife's expense. She has been painting the kid's wing all week. She was here till 10, 11 last night painting, okay, so... I was and an old Steve Camp song came on, and it was just like, hey, when, when your heart is scarred, he's all you need. He is all you need, okay? Okay, we got to hurry here. Verse 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great. I've been witnessing to people in prisons with me in chains, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing to great people in the world's eyes, to a king. And all the elites of the society, saying no things that those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Everything I've said about Jesus, it's in Scripture. You can go read it for yourself. In fact, Agrippa, I know that you're a student of the Scripture. Go read it. Go read Isaiah. Go read the Psalms. Go read Micah. Go read all the prophets. It all talks about Jesus. In fact, the entire Old Testament, you know what it's all about? Jesus. That's it. That the Christ, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, okay? That the Christ, that the Messiah would suffer. You know, just a side note, it's interesting. The reason that so many Jewish leaders and religious leaders missed Jesus at first is because they loved all the prophecies about the Messiah coming as a conquering king. They loved those, and that's what they focused. But they didn't like all the prophecies about the Messiah would suffer, (laughs) And so what they did is they interpreted the ones they liked as literal, that he would be a conquering king. But the ones that were about him suffering, they took as figurative. They allegorized it. Just a little side note. This is an advertisement here. (coughs) Don't make the same mistake. Don't allegorize or figurize the parts of the Bible you don't like, especially with prophecy. God works the same today as he did then. Don't miss what's happening in the world. Because ViewSonic came on. Don't miss what's happening in the world because you've allegorized what the prophecies say. They're very clear and they're to be taken very little. Okay? All right. Time back in. Okay. Where was I? Who knows? That he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is what he's doing right now. He's proclaiming the lens. Here, you want to see? You can see it. But blindness is a choice. You don't have to take these lenses. You want to keep being miserable? I got a clue for you. Life is hard. Especially when you're a Colorado Rockies fan. Or a OSU Beavers fan. I'm a Ducks fan, so the Beavers just got relegated. Okay, um, so uh, it's hard. You don't have to get depressed because life is hard. You don't have to get anxious because life is hard. You don't have to be alone right here going, lean into me, I'm I, I, but I also rose from the dead so that even if you will rise to sight, the choice. 24. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, 
You're beside yourself. That was a very Roman, Greco-Roman way of saying when we see people walking down the street and we see them uh, around what they, they have the same issue. So you're beside yourself. It's like saying, Paul, you're crazy. So Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're crazy. Much learning is driving you mad. As Festus is listening in, he knows Paul isn't crazy. He, he, he's seen him in two weeks. This guy studies all the time. He's very intelligent. He's intelligent, well-spoken, and respected by everyone who's not a Jewish leader. As Paul shares the good news about Jesus, Festus is feeling the weight and truth of what Paul is saying and shockingly feels conviction. Instead of choosing to accept Paul's words and follow Jesus, he bursts out by declaring, Paul, you're crazy! This happens all the time. Sharing Christ with somebody and you're really getting to the heart of it. Man, that's, that stuff is that's just crazy. Man, it's, they're just really myth. Let's go to the historical record. The Bible has been challenged as mythology for thousands of years. It stands up every time. In fact, every time they try to attack it, some archaeologists find something that the Bible is right all the time. Okay? All right? Blindness is a choice. And right now, Festus is choosing. He's feeling that the, the Holy Spirit is with people. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you and then will come on you. At this point with Festus, the Holy Spirit's with him going, listen, listen. Remember, Festus is going to die in three. Jesus loves Festus. Listen to Paul. And he's feeling, he's like, you're crazy, Paul. That's what's going on here. Blindness, a choice. King. Oh, for the king before whom I also freely speak freely. So he's seen Festus is thrown, saying, I don't want the glass. So then he turns to Agrippa. And he knows Agrippa knows all this is true. He knows it because Agrippa is a student of Scripture. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for, for I am convinced that none of these things have escaped his attention since this thing was not done in the corner. This wasn't a secret. This was the most significant event in our country existence. <laughs> Now we know it's the most significant event in the history of the world. So it's not done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Paul knows Agrippa is an expert in Judaism and has embraced the Hebrew scriptures. Paul is declaring to Agrippa, if you believe the prophets in scripture, then you'll believe me when I tell you that Jesus is the Messiah. If you believe what I'm saying, then you too can receive sight and be saved. Take it. But again... Blindness is a choice. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Do you ever watch Ray Comfort videos on YouTube? I could watch those for hours. If you haven't, if you have YouTube, just search for Ray Comfort. He's from New Zealand and, and he shares Christ, but he always says, hey, is it okay if I film this? So he has a video and he, he talks to these people. Half the people accept Christ. Half of them. He always ends by saying something like, he just goes through and really great technique using the technique people see hey them go you know he'll say hey would you agree to just kind of think about this from now on he goes yeah i'll give you a book so you can read more about it would you want to make a decision right now half of them go absolutely the other half go no i'll go you almost persuaded me that's like being in a 3d movie and the usher comes in and goes hey this is a no i'm good just here for popcorn (laughs) that was supposed to be up there that's okay agrippa such a similar story to the rich, rich young ruler that came to Jesus. Almost followed Jesus. Almost. But he couldn't give up his riches. Says, ah, I'm going to leave. This is a stupid thought. It's nowhere in Scripture. I've always just kind of wondered if that rich young ruler was Paul. I don't know. 
Probably not. It's a very similar description. I shouldn't have even said that because it's just speculation. But similar stories here. We're not. Okay. When he had said these things, the king stood up, which means meeting agenda or adjourned, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, Paul's goal wasn't personal freedom. Paul's goal was to follow his king, his boss. That's what Lord means, by the way, just boss. His king, Jesus Christ. The Lord's plan wasn't Paul being set free, but instead to remain in custody for a mission trip to Rome with all expenses paid for by the Roman Empire. And he gets to tell the emperor about Jesus. It's one of the reasons that Nero went crazy. Most historians with blindness is a choice, but sight is a choice as well. And I'm, I'm going to have uh, Jennifer come up here. But as she, she's up this morning, God is offering you these lenses. Now, some of you, you've taken these lenses and you already have them. But then it's, and you have them, and it's not that you lose your salvation. It's just that as life gets overwhelming, what we tend to do is, you know when you're wearing glasses, and you know, I, I wear glasses, take them off sometimes, because like, they kind of give me a headache, you know, just from the weight on the, you know, you're like, you do this, and this is what we do, and we do this, we start to panic, and then we, you know, that's me with the blueberry, blackberries last night, is, is I'm kind of just like feeling, woe is me, and all this, and then God says, hey, Brian, yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian, yeah, hey, put on the glasses. I'm all you need. Boom. Some of you need to do that this morning is you need to just kind of say, hey, God, I have the glasses. <laughs> I have them. I'm just not using them. You know, this morning, what I want to do, Lord, is, is just in this last song, I'm going to use this time. Just put those glasses right back on. I'm going to look to you. You are who I need. You're all I need. And some of you are in a position just like Agrippa and Festus. You think about what happened in their life. This was God trying to reach their hearts. Not just them, but every elite in that audience. And Paul's sitting here going, hey, here you go. You want these, Festus? Nah, I'm good. He died three years later. Was it worth it to just throw away these lenses and say, no, I don't want them? Bernice, I already told you. Man, she is lost. She's in her 20s probably at this point in an incestuous relationship with her brother after two marriages and goes on to just be the, the royal prostitute of Rome. <laughs> this was her chance. Bernice, listen, you don't have to find your identity by the man you're sleeping with. You can find your identity. Agrippa, you know this stuff. You've studied this. You know it's true. Paul, almost, buddy. <laughs> almost. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm there, but you know, uh-uh. are you in the same position? I want to give you the chance right now. I'm going to have everybody, we're going to close. We usually don't do this, but I just want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. We usually don't do this. This is between you and But if you're here this morning, you've never accepted those lenses, accepted Jesus. Clear, this is what Paul was declaring, is that we've all sinned, and from that sin we earn death. But Jesus died in your place so that you don't have to die. And all you have to do to accept these lenses is say, you know what? I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my boss. Jesus, I accept it. You're my boss. I believe you died in my place and you rose from the dead. And if you want to accept those lenses, just pray after me. You can do this in the silence of your own heart. The Lord knows you so well. He hears your thoughts. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He loves you. Just pray this. Just pray this. Just say, dear Jesus, right now I want to take your sight. I want to take your lens. I want to give my life to you. I don't want to be like Agrippa who threw it away. I want to be like Paul 
who accepted that new life in Jesus. So right now, Jesus, I make you my Lord. I make you my boss. I hand the keys of my life to you and I trust you. Come in. Take over my life. Now, if you just pray that prayer, this is what I want you to do. Just just slip your hand up real quick just so I can pray for you if you prayed that prayer. All right, I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? You can, anybody else? Lord, I just want to pray for these couple of people who, who have just made a decision for you this morning. God, would you bless their sock? Just reveal yourself in new ways. Lord, just, just help them to see, to understand life from your perspective, regardless of what's going on situationally in their life. They would know they're not alone. Wrap your arms around them. Give them new joy. Give them new love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that comes only from your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you together. Amen.